Welcome to Citizens Midweek, a podcast for our church family where we take a deeper look at this week's sermon. My name is Tim Olson, and I'm filling in hosting responsibilities for Jacob, who's out this week. This week on the podcast, I'm joined by one of our leadership team members and deacons, Cole Simpson. Here we go. Thanks for being on. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So on Sunday, we looked at uh, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. And you talked about how grace comes not only to us, but through us. And we looked at this kind of tangent that Paul goes into in the middle of the letter where he talks about God's grace to him, that he gets to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He gets to share the unsearchable riches and mystery of Jesus, all of that. Um, And we talked about how grace produces uh, and helps us move towards four things. So we said that grace produces servants, that grace produces missionaries grace produces humility, and grace prepares us for suffering. And how in all of this, the the grace of God comes to us, and then it's meant to go through us as conduits for the sake of other people. And one of the things that you talked about, man, that really jumped out to me was that second idea of grace producing missionaries. Um, I think we talked about this a lot in our Acts series of the responsibility and the calling and the commands that we have to share the gospel, but uh, your invitation to us that it's a, a gift from God, that it's a grace-filled thing that... You know, Paul says that it's a gift that he gets to share the gospel with people. He doesn't view it as an obligation or something that he has to do, but rather it's a blessing. It's an opportunity. Uh, it's not a burden, but it's a blessing that he gets to step into. Uh, so that really struck me of, as I think about my neighbors, my coworkers, my family members. Do I view it as a gift and a, a grace from God that I get to share the gospel with them, that I get to be a part of God's kingdom advancing? Uh, that really stuck out to me. What about you, Cole? As you were preaching it, as you were studying it, uh, what's something that, that hit you in particular? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that that hit me, and I, I touched it shortly in the beginning of the sermon, was this idea in verse one where Paul says he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ or a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And I just think that's really interesting because Paul is not dismissing his reality. He's not saying this isn't a big deal. I'm not actually a prisoner. I'm free in Christ. He's clear about he is a prisoner. And then he is giving the responsibility to Christ. So he's recognizing God's sovereignty despite his circumstances, but he's not allowing that to color or change his view of God. In fact, he's allowing it to change his view on his circumstances. So instead of his circumstances changing his view on God, God is changing his view of his circumstances. And so he's looking at his circumstances saying, okay, I am supposed to be here because we know that God is sovereign and we know that I am not here because of any worldly power of Rome or Caesar. So what does God have for me here? What does God have for me to do? And, you know, I think this is a little bit of conjecture on my end, but as New Testament believers who get to read these letters that he has written, part of me asks the question, if Paul's not in prison, does he just go to these churches and preach sermons and like, you know, walk with Timothy and Titus and all these guys and help them see, be able to talk to them face to face. And I, I think, you know, in earlier in his ministry, he did a lot of that. And not that he totally stops or never wrote letters before, but I think some of the reason, at least for me, and like I said, conjecture, God may have even imprisoned Paul was so that we as New Testament believers get to see these truths that were applied to these New Testament churches that we get to take and apply to our lives and our churches today. And so that was really interesting to me because it, it just 
again, pushes into this idea that we just do not have the whole picture. And God in his sovereignty knows what he is doing, even if it doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's good. I think, um, I mean, you read Acts, all of Paul's life, right, is one of continual suffering for the sake of the gospel. Um, I was thinking about this as, as you were sharing about 2 Timothy 4, where, you know, later he writes back to Ephesus, Timothy's the pastor there. And he says in chapter four, he's like, hey, I'm, I'm in prison for the gospel. And just the humanity of Paul to say, I need my parchments, I need my jacket, and I need you to send this guy who's my friend. And just how his humanity, like you were saying, his his suffering is not negated or absent or not less than just because he, he is connecting with God, communing with God, but he views it through a deeper gospel eternal lens. Cool. So it's fun for me. I get to be in the host seat. No one can see us right now. This is not a, a video <laughs> podcast. Uh, but if you're wondering, I'm sitting in the host seat for Jacob Kirby, um, literally the seat where he sits to host. Uh, and so you get to take us on a deep dive today. So where are we going? What are we talking about? And what do you have for us? Yeah, I think. And again, I'm, I'm a little bit playing off of this idea or maybe continuing to build on to this framework. But I, I want to talk about God's grace and specifically how it applies to us in our suffering. So what does grace look like for us in the midst of our suffering? And, and you know, Tim, me and I, you and I have talked about this idea. I think you even have mentioned it on stage that we really desire and value our people having a theology of suffering. We think that's a really important uh, piece of the Christian life because we will all suffer in different ways in different seasons, but we want to be prepared for that. So I kind of wanted to at least for me, take a step back and let's look at the Bible and how God talks about suffering, where suffering comes from, how we should think about it and break it down and start to hopefully build that theology of suffering. Give us a little bit of that eternal perspective that Paul's talking about in this Ephesians 3 letter. So when we're talking about suffering, I think the first place you want to start is you want to have a proper view of God and a proper view of man. And, and so I think it's important when we talk about suffering to remember Genesis 3, to go back to sin came into the garden because of us. God created us. He created us in his image and everything was good. And we decided with our free will to say, no, I am going to choose not God. I'm going to remove myself from him. I'm going to turn towards something else. And what God does there is, in his mercy and kindness is he does not destroy us. He does not kill us, but he actually goes about and says, I'm going to redeem these people even in the midst of their sin. And we see that throughout the Bible. And so we see this really cool parallel of grace, of God's grace, him coming alongside us in his sovereignty, but also our free will, right? So in Genesis 12, God creates this covenant with Abraham. And I, I know I referenced this in the sermon, but creates this covenant with Abraham where he tells him, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless the nations through you. And he basically gives this idea that through Abraham, sin will one day, you know, we know because we can look back, Abraham doesn't know. Through Abraham, Christ is going to come and defeat sin and death and eventually even put an end to our suffering. And then you can look throughout the Old Testament. And again, you see this thread where God is committed to our good while simultaneously allowing us to have freedom, right? So just a few things step out to me or stick out to me. It's like um, you think of Samson, who God has given strength and is with in a unique way. 
and he's choosing to turn against God and to uh, care more about his strength, care more about this woman, woman, and then eventually, through God's grace, he realizes that God is actually better than the gifts that God gives. And you see it again with the Israelites where they want a king. And so God gives them a king and he lets them choose and they choose Saul and Saul and the Israelites start to turn away from God and God again and his grace comes back to them and helps them get back on track. And then you see it even with David and Bathsheba, right? Where this man who is actually a man after God's own heart again in his sin chooses to turn away from God and God does not reject him or turn away from him, but in his grace comes back and allows him to be brought back into the family of God and even refers to David as a man after his own heart. And over and over again, we see God working in his sovereignty through man's sin, which is such a cool idea that we have free will, that in our free will, we choose sin, but God even uses that free will. He uses our wrong choices for our good and his glory. And so eventually, right, we get to Jesus and Jesus comes from that line that we talked about, from David, from Abraham, and he takes on the sin of the world. He takes the punishment that we deserve so we can have a relationship with him until we get salvation, which is insane. Like That's such a cool thing that we get salvation, but one of the most, uh, one of the sweetest parts of the gospel, at least for me, is that we don't just get salvation we get so much more. So like we can look at verses like Romans 8, 28, where God says all things are working together for our good and for his purposes. We can look at Hebrews 4, where it says we have a great high priest who we can go to and approach the throne of grace with confidence and that our savior has been tempted and tried in every way that we have been tempted and tried. And so in our suffering, we don't just have our salvation. We don't just have the forgiveness of our sins. We have a God who meets us in our suffering and who cares about our suffering and was willing to die so that he could bring that suffering to an end. And then like Paul is even referencing, uh, you know, John is going to write about this later in Revelation 21 verses four and five, that this suffering will come to an end, like that every tear will be wiped away and that all death will end and we will be made new and we will be unified together as a family with Christ. And so it's just a really cool idea for me that God is good. He is sovereign. He gives us freedom and he uses our sin. He uses our wrong decisions for our sanctification and for his glory. Like, I mean, even in James 1, uh, verse 2 and 3, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So again, this idea that uh, I think suffering and this really interesting intertwinedness, and I know that I'm kind of geeking out here, but uh, if I could put it in points is this idea of like this, if we have a right view of God and we understand who he is and his love and mercy, and then we have a right view of man and we understand our depravity, we understand that there's this freedom where there's this parallel between God is sovereign. He is good, but also we are free. And we have chosen sin. And so God has given us the freedom to choose sin. 
but simultaneously is working for our good and in his sovereignty, bringing grace through us that God was willing to suffer for us. So I think that's something unique about Christianity is that God came down and lived as a human and died for us. He didn't demand something from us. He did the thing that we could not do. So God suffered for us and with us. So now we have a God who can relate to our pain and suffering and we can go back to him. God promises to end our suffering. So we can, you know, even in the midst of our terrible circumstances, we can look forward and trust that our God is a God who will do what he says he will do because he has always done what he says he will do over and over again. And then finally, that we know our suffering is for our good and for the glory of God for the expansion of the kingdom. As I was even reading about this a few times, people talked about this idea and and you even mentioned it in second Timothy four, but of course Paul suffered because suffering is often how the gospel is moved. How the gospel moves forward is people say, I'm willing to suffer like Christ suffered for the good of the people around me. And so, yeah, I mean, again, I know I'm a little bit all over the place, but that idea of that theology of suffering and wanting myself, and I know that I need this in my life, but our people to continue to dig into that, because I think if we've done this work on the front end, when we meet those trials, and they're going to be difficult no matter what, but we will be able to go back to that that fountain of grace. I love what you're saying there. I think even the Old Testament examples, as you were sharing about that, I was reminded um, we were gifted this um, kind of ABCs book that we've been reading with Harper that uh, walks through, like gives like, you know, A is for this, B is for this, yeah. but it does it with like the story of the Bible. And one of the things that I was really struck by when you kind of distill down the message of the, of the whole of scripture, and what God is doing in the world in a really, you know, way that a 13 month old can't understand, but can hopefully in a few months. Um, but one of the things that, that the author says is that God gave the God, you know, think about the old Testament, God as being harsh and being, um, unloving. And then it's like new Testament, Jesus, and it's all nice and great, whatever, but just how kind and how patient God was in the old Testament is something that, uh, I just saw with fresh eyes reading this book of, you know, God gave the Israelites judges and they didn't listen. He gave them prophets and they didn't listen. He gave them Kings and they rebelled. He gave them the law and they disobeyed. And just how much God continued and continued and continued even before the Messiah to pursue his people, to be patient with his people. But even thinking about David as a, as a supreme example of that in several ways, but especially with, you know, the Israelites beg for a king. They right. beg for a king. God, give us a king. We want to be like every other nation. And God's saying like, no, I'm your king. You don't need an earthly king. And finally he gives them one. And for the most part, that king is terrible, right? Like he kind of messes everything up. He leads them into slavery. Like it's just not good. And God in his kindness doesn't cut off the line of kings, but rather he continues the line of kings through David and then promises that the eternal king will come through the earthly kings. And so just his kindness and his patience um, is overwhelming. And then you get into, you know, the beauty of Jesus where God takes on flesh and uh, can't just, you know, doesn't just sympathize, but empathizes, right? Like actually 
not just in a, okay, I kind of get what you're talking about, or I get what you're experiencing, or I get what you're feeling, but actually took on flesh and experienced it himself, experienced suffering, um, arguably worse than any of us ever will, right. um, but knows it on a deep personal level. Uh, but one thing that, that you said was really interesting, and I, I would love to hear a little bit more on, is you kind of talked about three different ways that suffering enters our lives. Um so you talked about, you know, the suffering that's a result of sin. Right. You talked about suffering that's a result of the brokenness of the world. And then you talked about suffering that comes from being faithful to the gospel. I'd love for you to hear like just a little bit like tell us a little bit more about those categories, how you see that play out, even in your own life, how you've seen that play out in different people's lives if you as you kind of walked the faith of Christ. Yeah. So I mean, I think it's important, you know, I think Job actually does a lot with uh, the theology mm. of suffering or the uh, this idea of suffering that we want to build on is uh, one of the reasons why Job is such an important book to the Bible is without Job, yeah, you can almost start to believe this idea that if you are suffering, it is because of you. Mm. It's because you did something wrong. And, uh, you know, we know the Bible is very clear that Job didn't do anything wrong, that he was righteous. And so, like you said, the categories of the brokenness of the world, your sin, and then following Jesus. So it's like, those are great categories. So yes, absolutely. Can you uh, run into suffering because of the brokenness of a world, right? So this isn't a result of your sin, but it is a result of the sin around you. And so of course we can. So things like, I mean, easy things, like not easy as in that they're easy to experience, but easy to point for out. Sure, for sure. Like, murder or someone cutting you off in traffic. I mean, just terrible, terrible things that happen. Sickness, yeah, disease. sickness, disease. I mean, this idea that we live in a broken world. And so because we live in a broken world, other people's sin, and even like, I mean, you can go way mega with this, like even the, um, uh, the erosion of our world in some ways, you can point to so not just sickness of the body, but sickness of the earth we live in, yeah. you could point to towards sin, right? So that's like the brokenness of the world. Then you go your own sin. So I can just speak from my experiences. I have had to go through things because I made terrible decisions, right? And not even things that I um I could have known. So there are easy ones like you lied and then you had to deal with that consequences. But even like I think of myself as a child and some of the decisions, some of the idols that I chased after and now 15, 18 years later, I'm still dealing with these idols that I chose to start to run after as an eight to 10 year old, mm. which you couldn't have even known, right? Like, oh, there's no way you could see the consequences of that. But it is a direct result of my sin. I chose this thing is better than God, right? So that would be more in the category of your sin. We both worked with college students for a while right. before coming to Charlotte. And that was one of the things I feel like I had that conversation all the time with college students of uh, college is not just college, right? right. Like you, you think it's four years, I'm going to live it up. And what I tried to tell them all the time is you don't realize how this stuff sticks with you. Absolutely. How the patterns you set in four or five years affect you, how the decisions you make affect you. That was a conversation I was having all the time is you're choosing to just live your life, do whatever you want, chase after the the quote unquote good life in these four years is going to affect you in ways you'd have no idea for the long term. And both in silly, seemingly trivial ways, mm -hmm. but also really important ways. So I'll, I'll say a trivial way, right? So like, and I joked about this um, in the sermon, the idea that I have this power idol, but growing up, I could be pretty short. I could be pretty abrasive. And like now, even now, years later, where I, I hope I'm not nearly as abrasive as I used to be, I have to sometimes deal with this identity of Cole's abrasive, Cole's short. And it's mm. like, 
uh, I don't know. I don't know if we met today, that would be your opinion of me, but mm. I've created this persona because of my sin, mm. right? So that's a silly way, but then also even in more serious ways, right? Like we make huge decisions that alter our life because we, uh, I mean, addiction is an easy one. So that's a, that's a mixture of brokenness of the world, but also your sin of choosing to run after this idol. And now you've, it's changed the brain chemistry and, you, you know, it's yeah. super difficult to break out of and, which you know, doesn't nullify the grace of God, doesn't make not. the great forgiveness that he asked for us any less true, but does give the real, like weight to the reality of earthly tangible consequences even still. Yeah, absolutely. And God's grace can always take us out of those things, but they are still tangible, real consequences. We see that with David and Bathsheba, right? Mm-hmm. So he tangibly loses a child. He loses a child. You can't act like that didn't happen. And he's restored to God. And through Bathsheba, we get Solomon and Jesus, right? So it's like, of course, there is grace there, but it's a both and. And then finally, like you said, um, sin or the uh, the suffering that comes about from choosing to go after the, the gospel, gospel right. expanding the kingdom. And so I think Paul is an easy person to point to, right? I think most of the apostles you can point to, uh, if you exclude Judas, all of the apostles are martyred except for John. And the only reason he wasn't martyred is because he didn't die when they tried to boil him alive. Um, so they all suffer for the gospel and it can happen in really big ways like that, but it can also happen in really small ways, right? So things like you're the weird Christian guy or girl, you're the guy who's not going to do things. You're going to not have sex before marriage, things like that. They're going to mark you. People are going to make fun of you. And and not to say that um, that's not important. I'm just saying it's not comparable to dying. And so, and even like things like planning a church, right? So I think as beautiful and as good and as happy as I am to have been a part of this church plant, and I think you as well, in some ways, maybe not for you, I, I think we both could say, our lives are tangibly worse because we decided to say we're going to sacrifice some ease for us, some comfort, some relationship and go to a new city where we don't know people. And thank goodness we have a team and we get to have those relationships, but we suffer in some ways and that's okay because it is worth the gospel advancing. But those are kind of those three categories a little bit more fleshed out. And I think it's, it's helpful to know and to, to have, community, especially because I think in the midst of suffering, you can be very blind to what is actually going on here and what is what is happening. And it's important to have the right community to speak in in those moments, right? So you, the example of Job, right? right? Job's friends are trying to tell him like, number one, it's because God's not good. Number two is because you sinned and messed up. And right. I think that even at one point, they're like, hey, even if you didn't sin, just like say you did <laughs> right. so that like God will <laughs> give you and it'll move on. And so I think it's important to not... Uh, some of us can jump too critically to go, okay, and the only category I have for suffering is my sin. I think some of us can jump to never thinking about our sin in right. terms of our suffering. And it, you know, we talk about, well, you know, Christ sympathizes with our weaknesses and empathizes all this truth of the word when really it's like, and we also put ourselves in that situation and we need to talk about that and address that. And, and then I also think part of it is we need to have a category for suffering, not being, um, just this terrible thing we always run from and avoid because sometimes like you were saying with the example of church planting with the the gospels with acts like sometimes suffering is a necessity for the sake of the gospel advancing so we don't run after it right we don't go hey i'm gonna i'm gonna make myself suffer right we don't choose 
you know, martyrdom, whether that be of life or of sacrifice. But we have to be willing to say, hey, this is going to cost me something, right? Following Jesus is costly. And so I'm willing to put myself in an environment where I might have to suffer for the sake of the gospel, knowing that Jesus is close, knowing that he's near. Uh, I think just thinking through those categories has been helpful for me to think about what is my response in these moments? Always God is near, (laughs) whether it's because of the gospel, whether it's because of uh, my own sin, like always God is close and near, but even thinking about how I respond. Yeah. And I mean, I think even to go off the idea that the category of suffering is so large. So, you know, the Bible is very clear that we as believers are supposed to bear with the weak. Mm -hmm. And one of, one of my favorite application points from that is like, and, and you guys even talked about this with individualism last week, the idea of staying. Mm. Uh, And I think staying and bearing with the weak have a lot in common. And and what it looks like is um, that's going to be harder for you, right? When you're not individualistic, when you choose not to bear with the weak, or sorry, when you're not individualistic or when you choose to bear with the weak, that will bring a certain amount of suffering to you. Your life will be harder. And so this idea of you are choosing to lay down your preferences at the feet of Jesus. And in doing that, maybe uh, you can look at and say silly ways, but to me, they're very tangible, real ways of just like, my life is harder. My life is worse because I am choosing to follow King Jesus and care more about what he cares about than the things that I want. And so I think that plays out, like we said, in church planning, in mission. And that's why our motivation cannot be checking a box. Because if our only motivation is checking a box, then we never actually will be missionaries. We'll never actually will be servants because it's too hard. It's too hard if our only motivation is checking a box. Our motivation has to be the goodness of God and understanding him and diving more into, I mean, Paul uses the phrase like the richness of the gospel. He's talking about the unsearchable riches of grace. And that should be our motivation as we know who God is more. Well, I want to be a missionary. I want to be a servant because of who I've come to know Christ is not because I'm supposed to check a box. Yeah. And I think it's so important to give space for that in our own lives, to give space for that in other people's lives, even thinking about, you know, our engage the heart time in group or thinking about um, our time in the gatherings where we both confess our sins and we lament our sufferings and we lament our griefs. And this is part of the lived experience as humans, this side of the kingdom, like you, like you were reminding us, like Christ will return. He will make all things new. And in this side of that, we still suffer. We still experience loss. We still experience brokenness. We still affects, still experience the effects of our own sin and sin done to us. Um, but yet we don't mourn as those without hope. We don't suffer as those without hope. Um, or those without a King who's able to sympathize and empathize with us. Yeah. And the picture of the gospel is clear that we are supposed to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. So one of the beautiful things about church family and community is that you shouldn't even do your suffering alone. You should have people rallying around you and loving you and (laughs) stepping into that with you. It shouldn't just be this thing that you're destined to do with no one around you. Mm. That's great. Well, thanks for being on today. Anything, anything else you got for us before we close? No, I think that's it. I think that's kind of what was hitting me with this passage. Just this idea that God's grace is so huge and it encompasses so many categories. And it was cool just to get to dive into that a little bit more and think about all the, or at least some more of the uh, effects of God's grace more than just our salvation, even though that in and of itself is incredible. Yeah. Amen. Thanks for being on here and we'll see you next week.